0: Thank you very much, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and you are listening to WETF, the Jazz Station, South Bend, Indiana. Very happy to be back with you this week. Um, We are focusing on a trumpet player. We've done this a couple of times in the past. We did Fats Navarro not long ago. This is a different uh, trumpet player, different style, very much in the swing era, and his name was Joe Thomas. Not a very well-known name, although there are, in fact, three or four different jazz musicians playing different instruments named Joe Thomas. This uh, fellow was probably the best known overall. He had the longest career, I suppose. He was a trumpet player from the St. Louis area, actually from Webster Groves, Missouri, and he uh, got his early musical training in St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis was a hotbed of trumpet players. Uh, Back in the 1920s, there were uh, fellows like Singleton Palmer and Dewey Jackson who were almost legendary trumpet players um, in in the uh, style of jazz that was not New Orleans jazz in the 1920s. They were influenced by New Orleans players, and New Orleans players were influenced by them as well. Other players who came out of that school were Ed Allen, who made a bunch of recordings with Clarence Williams in the 1920s. And then later in the 30s and 40s and 50s, we had people like Joe Thomas, Miles Davis, Clark Terry. Um, so you can see there was quite a school of trumpet playing in St. Louis. So Joe Thomas uh, was born in 1909. He uh, started touring with some territory bands. Actually, he ended up in New York very briefly in 1928, where he played with a band led by a saxophone player uh, named Cecil Scott. Uh, He and his brother Lloyd Scott led a band that was pretty well known in New York uh, in the Harlem circuit. And Joe Thomas played with them for a little while. He made some early recordings, actually, I think before he left St. Louis in about 1926, 27, Um, and then, as I said, made this little brief foray to uh, New York. After that, he went uh, out on the road with a variety of territory bands through the Midwest and Chicago and further afield as well. By 1934, he had reached New York again, and he was there to stay. He pretty much stayed in New York for his whole career, uh, with occasional tours with other bands. He... um, Uh, had some extended residencies in places like Toronto and Boston uh, later in the 1960s and 70s. But for the most part, he was a New York musician from that moment on. And he played with a lot of the finest black bands of the time. Fletcher Henderson's band he was with from about 1934 to 1937. He recorded with Fats Waller and played with his big band briefly. He was with Benny Carter's big band for a year or two, from 1939 to 1940. Uh, He played combos on 52nd Street with uh, Joe Sullivan and Teddy Wilson, very similar sextet led by each of those piano players from 1942 to 43. Uh, He played for about a year with Bud Freeman's band in Chicago. He played with Cozy Cole's band. He spent quite a while playing with Barney Begard's band. We're going to hear some records by that group as well. And then later in the 1950s and 60s, he played uh, a variety of uh, different uh, dance gigs and, and so forth in New York. He also was on a lot of jam session albums, the Buck Clayton Jam Sessions, um, Some of the other ones that were on uh, different labels like Swingville that specialized in bringing out uh, mainstream, as they called it, jazz musicians from the swing era. Um, and he was on the Fletcher Henderson Reunion album, uh, reunion All-Stars album in the 1950s, and he played uh, pretty consistently up until he died in 1984. So he had a long career, but again, he's not terribly well-known, which is unfortunate. He didn't lead bands too often. Uh, he did record very frequently back from the mid-1930s up until the mid-50s anyway, was a favorite sideman of a lot of players. And the fact that he played with Fletcher Henderson and Benny Carter's Big band shows that he was a fine musician. Um, they both had very high standards, especially among brass players. Joe Thomas, uh, as we will hear, was very much beholden to Louis Armstrong for his style. He really developed that style that uh, Armstrong was playing in the in the 1930s particularly. Um, he sounded a little bit modern in places, but not too much. Uh, we just heard two recordings that Uh, show different sides of Joe Thomas. Uh, The first tune was recorded by Roy Eldridge and his trumpet ensemble, and I should mention that all the recordings we're going to hear today were made for the keynote label, and we'll talk a little bit about that label later on. Uh, Joe Thomas was extensively recorded in the 1940s, but he did some of his finest work as a sideman and, in one case, as a leader for keynote records. So this particular recording, uh, Roy Eldridge, here called Little Jazz, which was his nickname, I think for contractual reasons, and his trumpet ensemble, and it was three trumpets and a rhythm section. Uh, I'll tell you about the rhythm section first. We had Johnny Guarneri, who was on piano, and we'll be hearing from him quite a lot. He was kind of a house uh, piano player for Keynote Records at the time. Israel Crosby was on bass, and Cozy Cole was on drums, and the three trumpets were Roy Eldridge, Joe Thomas, and Emmett Berry, three of the finest uh, swing-era African-American trumpet players. And this was recorded on January 24th of 1944. This was one of the first uh, jazz recordings for Keynote. Uh, We heard Emmett Berry start out playing the melody of Don't Be That Way, uh, the Edgar Sampson tune. And then the second chorus was a Joe Thomas solo, played with a very broad sound in the middle register. We'll hear him going in the upper register any number of times, but he had a really extraordinary sound in the middle register. Then a piano solo by Guarneri. Then we heard Roy Eldridge, the leader, uh, playing with a nice buzzy mute, uh, playing very hot in there and uh, with almost a shuffle rhythm behind him. And then finally, Emmett Berry comes back and plays a solo that, when I initially heard this record, I thought was by Roy Eldridge. They were... Quite similar in some ways. Emmett Berry was another one of those little-known names of the swing era who was a fine, fine trumpet player and played with a lot of great bands. So that was Don't Be That Way. We went from there to a tune called Bojangles, and this was a Duke Ellington tune. Ellington had recorded this in 1940 uh, with the great band that featured Ben Webster and Jimmy Blanton. And uh, here the band is led by clarinet player Barney Begard, who was also part of that Ellington band. And he was fond of this tune. It's an interesting tune. It's uh, kind of repetitive, but it's supposed to evoke the feelings of the great dancer, Bill Bojangles Robinson. And we heard a fabulous trumpet solo in there, one of many we're going to hear today. Uh, the Barney Bigard Quintet, Joe Thomas on trumpet, and as I said, he was playing with his group regularly at the time, which was in February of 1945. Barney Bigard on clarinet, Johnny Guarneri again on bass, or excuse me, on piano, Billy Taylor on bass, who was a former Ellingtonian himself, and Cozy Cole again on drums. So you can see, have some consistency in the personnel here. So we're going to play um, three or four tunes now coming up, all featuring Joe Thomas. We're actually going to play another tune from that Barney Bogard uh, session. And uh, never too sure how to pronounce this. Borobador, B-O-R-O-B-U-D-O-R, which apparently was a... Rhythm or a, a uh, dance rhythm from Java and the reason for that is the producer of these recordings was a man named Harry Lim who was from Java and so Barney Bigard wrote this tune or, or collaborated with uh, Lim and who knows who else playing this tune or writing this tune and we're going to hear a really Um, beautiful, but short, Joe Thomas solo. This is kind of a mood piece that Bagard specialized in, showing off his beautiful sound, but um, in only an eight-bar solo, Joe Thomas almost steals the show from him. He just does a a fantastic job uh, with very little material and very little time, but he makes every note tell, as we will hear. From that point, we're going to go to uh, a tune called uh, Wicks Kicks by Ted Nash, And his ensemble, Ted Nash, was a tenor sax player who had been playing with Les Brown. We'll talk more about him after the break, and Joe Thomas featured on that. Then we're going to hear a tune uh, called "Too Marvelous for Words, which will feature kind of a Dixieland group. Joe Thomas did play a certain amount of uh, Dixieland, because that was a way to get paid in New York in the 40s and 50s, um, although he was definitely a swing trumpet player. And this was an unusual group featuring Jack Teagarden, and led by the drummer George Wetling. And then we're going to finish off this set with a kind of a long track, a, a very nice one. Father Cooperates is a, a, a big, another drummer. Cozy Cole is back again, and it will feature, in addition to Thomas, uh, Coleman Hawkins, Trummy Young, and the subject of the title, Father Cooperates, Earl, Father Hines. So listen to these fine uh, bands, especially the fine trumpet playing by Joe Thomas. So our four tunes again, Barubador, Wicks Kicks, Too Marvelous for Words, and Father Cooperates you <music> Presents a cross section of the jazz establishment in New York in by 1944, 1945. Some phenomenal players and uh, really excellent uh, sessions made for the keynote label. We started out with Barubador. Uh, Barobador. Uh, as I said, it was a, a Javanese rhythm, I guess, something to do with that, but it was a uh, feature for Barney Bigard and his low register, very um, moody, um, velvet-toned clarinet, but interrupted by an eight-bar solo by Joe Thomas, which, as I said, really kind of almost steals the performance for me. Just a marvelously poised uh, statement, uh, just in a very short time with not too many notes, but um, shows absolute command of what he was trying to do. Then we went on to a tune called Wick's Kicks, and this was by the Ted Nash Quintet. Um, Ted Nash, as I mentioned, was a tenor sax player who had been playing with Les Brown and his band of renown Had made a number of recordings with them. Uh, He was a player who was able to explore the high register of the saxophone, playing altissimo notes, uh, but in a very melodic context. Sometimes we think of people like, you know, the JATP Flip Phillips or Eddie Lockjaw Davis or Earl Bostic or something. The high notes uh, and the altissimo notes tend to get very strident and very uh, electric sounding. But with Ted Nash They were very, almost feathery. Um, If you hear solos that he did with Les Brown, things like I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm and Twilight Time, things like that. He really just shows off a beautiful sound and control of the instrument. Here, he was a little bit more of a jump-style player on this particular recording. Uh, Of course, he's joined by Joe Thomas on trumpet. This piece was more almost a, a, a boppy type of uh, a line with some chromatic uh, inflections in there, but uh, Joe Thomas plays a very definite swing era solo. We also heard Jeff Clarkson on piano. He was with the uh, Brown Band as well. Trigger Alpert was on bass. He was known uh, for his uh, association with Glenn Miller's band uh, more than any other, but he was doing session work around New York at the time. And J.C. Hurd was on drums. This was from January of 1946. Then we went to um, an interesting little uh, date uh, led by George Wetling. And uh, this was a, a, a date that um, looked, on the face of it, to be a sort of a, a Dixieland traditional jazz date. Wetling was uh, playing with uh, a variety of groups in New York and Chicago. He was from Chicago and grew up playing that type of music. And he was a, uh, a regular at Eddie Condon's club and with uh, various Eddie Condon groups, as was Jack Garden uh, from time to time on trombone. But this is very much a swing era uh, performance. And we heard the Richard Whiting tune, Too Marvelous for Words. Uh, no vocal on there. Jack Teagarden sings on a couple of other tunes uh, on this um, recording date from December of 1944 four, George Wetling's New Yorkers. We heard Joe Thomas on trumpet, Jack Teagarden on trombone, Hank D'Amico on clarinet, a very fine sort of transitional player between swing and bebop. Coleman Hawkins, of course, great tenor sax player. We'll hear more from him in a minute. Herman Chittison was a Legendary uh, African-American piano player from the 1930s who uh, traveled around quite a lot. He made recordings in India. He was in France for quite a bit. And he was in the United States for a very short period uh, at this time in December in, in, of 1944 and the beginning of 1945. He recorded some very interesting trio uh, sides that probably were inspired by the Art Tatum Trio. And uh, might play those on a future show coming up. We heard Billy Taylor again on bass and, of course, the leader, George Wetling on drum. Drums. Then we finished out the set with a um, really classic uh, recording date, probably one of the great keynote dates. This is from February of 1944 at the Cozy Cole All-Stars, featuring Joe Thomas on trumpet, Trummy Young on trombone, Coleman Hawkins on tenor, Earl Hines on piano, Teddy Walters on guitar, Billy Taylor on bass, and Cosy Cole on drums. And we heard "Father Cooperates," which was a takeoff on "I Got Rhythm," a different line with a lot of riffs thrown in. It was written by Trummy Young, the trombone player who had played with the Earl Hines band in the middle 1930s before going with Jimmy Lunceford, and then playing a lot of different combos and big bands of the 1940s. He was with Benny Goodman for a while. He recorded on some very early bebop dates with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, and uh, did. Quite a bit of other recording and, and performing until uh, he went to move to Hawaii, I believe, uh, in the late 40s or early 50s, and came back to tour with the Louis Armstrong All Stars uh, from the middle 1950s, early 1950s, actually, all the way up to the early 1960s. He was with them for about 10 years. He became Louis Armstrong's close friend and foil on the bandstand, and then eventually he retired and went back to Florida. Or oh, excuse me, not Florida, but Hawaii, and uh, made some recordings down there. So we heard one very Interesting and odd trombone solo by him. He was a, a, a very clever trombone player and a technically uh very accomplished trombone player as well an excellent trumpet solo as we might expect by joe thomas we heard uh, a guitar solo by teddy walters not a very well-known player he didn't have a very long life his father was a a a new orleans style jazz drummer named danny alvin and teddy walters obviously was following in the footsteps of charlie christian and some of the uh, pioneers of the electric guitar But uh, those solos were framed by two choruses by Earl Hines at the beginning of the solo sequence and two choruses by Coleman Hawkins at the end. Those were the the real linchpins of this date. And we heard a little bit of Cozy Cole on drums towards the end as well. So those were some interesting keynote recordings, all featuring Joe Thomas. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Keynote Records. It was founded in 1940 as a folk label, and a label that specialized in protest music. Um, Pete Seeger recorded a little bit for that. I think the Almanac Singers did. Um, it was a, a, a sort of an edgy, um, very, very left-wing, uh, almost uh, communist uh, label. In fact, I believe the fellow who founded that label, I think his name was Eric Bernier, um was uh in trouble with the government later on in the 1950s during the McCarthy period but for some reason actually economics i believe in 1943 uh he decided that it would be more uh lucrative very odd decision in retrospect but more lucrative to feature jazz artists and so he brought in a fellow named Harry Lim to produce jazz recordings in 1943 which Harry Lim did until about 1946 47 or so um, Harry Lim was born in Indonesia. As I mentioned, he had some connections with Java as well, but he was raised in the Netherlands and came to New York and produced jazz records at several different times. Uh, He worked for jazz uh, record companies like Sam Goody, Um, but his real claim to fame were these three or four years where he was producing these great uh, sessions for Keynote. He had a, a line on the great jazz musicians who were active on 52nd Street and some of the big band musicians as well who were just itching to to play in combos and get out of the big band life for at least a little while. And so he is really responsible for this. After he left Keynote or was fired or however his term ended, John Hammond came in and it didn't last for very long. Keynote Records started uh, hemorrhaging money as record labels featuring jazz usually do after a while and it was sold to Mercury Records in 1948. So, we're going to hear Two Sides Right Now by Joe Thomas's orchestra. Uh, this was the one time that uh, Joe Thomas led a group on Keynote. He had led some groups on. Um uh, the Hot Record Society a label, HRS, and some other places as well. But this was his date, and they recorded four tunes. Two of them I have already played on my podcast, The Jazz Focus, uh, the one that I dedicated to Hilton Jefferson, the great alto player, who is featured on this um, session on all four tunes. So if you'd like to hear the other two f- uh, tunes from this date, please go to my podcast, Jazz Focus, which you can find on Anchor.fm. You can also find it on Spotify and iTunes and other fine locations. Okay. The two tunes that we're going to hear uh, today for the balance of that session are uh, a tune called Pocatello, which was based on a, I would call it a standard or a popular song, but it was neither really. It wasn't very well known. It was a tune called Idaho, which jazz musicians liked and was written by a fellow named Jesse Stone, who was a band leader in the 1920s and um, later developed his career uh, into jazz playing, but became a rhythm and blues producer as well. Very interesting guy, had some hit records in the 50s and 60s, and um, was responsible for creating a lot of rhythm and blues recordings, including Shake, Rattle, and Roll by Joe Turner. Anyway, um, this was his tune, and uh, Pocatello is Joe Thomas's take on it. Then we're going to follow that up with a Duke Ellington tune called Black Butterfly, and by any stretch of the imagination or any standards, this is a really classic recording. Joe Thomas is phenomenal on this, and Hilton Jefferson is, is almost as good on alto sax. I'll tell you about the other personnel later. Then we're going to hear a different version of I Got Rhythm. We had talked about Father Cooperates was based on that. This is the actual tune, I Got Rhythm, and it is done by Red Norvo, uh, the great uh, jazz xylophonist and vibraphonist, who had a wonderful band in the 1930s. We'll talk about him as well. So those are our three tunes for this set. Pocatello, Black Butterfly, and I Got Rhythm. (music) Well, there you have Joe Thomas on three tracks. We've had quite a trombone feast on this program, as it turns out. We started out on that um, second set, we heard uh, Jack Teagarden and Trummy Young. And on this set, we heard uh, Tyree Glenn and uh, Vic Dickinson. So we started out with two tunes by Joe Thomas and his orchestra from August of 1946. Um, Pocatello, based on the chord changes of Idaho. Actually, it sounds very similar to... Uh, Stealing Apples, the Fats Waller tune, and then ended up with Black Butterfly, the great Duke Ellington tune. I'm not sure Ellington ever recorded that, but uh, this was a magnificent performance and really shows off the wonderful sound and the, the stately manner that Joe Thomas had. He he captured Louis Armstrong's grandeur and sense of drama better than almost any other trumpet player. Didn't get credit for it because no one really thought of him in that regard, but really an amazing player. In this band, Joe Thomas on trumpet, we heard Tyree Glenn, on trombone Hilton Jefferson on alto featured very briefly on Black Butterfly Jerry Jerome um, a white tenor player who had played with Red Norvo's band also I think Glenn Miller's first band Artie Shaw's band and Benny Goodman's band uh, it was a very uh, uh, Notable player who went into the studios later on and actually uh, did quite a bit of work in the 60s, writing and directing jingles for commercials and bringing in jazz musicians to do those. We heard Bernie Layton on piano. He had played with uh, Bud Freeman and uh, a couple of other um, white players from the 30s before he went into the service and then ended up going into studio work. We heard High White on guitar. who played with Woody Herman, Billy Taylor again on bass. You could tell how popular he was, and Lee Abrams on drums. Lee Abrams was the brother of Ray Abrams, who was a one of the early bebop tenor players, played with Dizzy Gillespie. Then we uh, went over to Red Norvo, Red Norvo's All-Star Septet, playing I Got Rhythm, not at a racehorse tempo, but at a nice medium groove, the way... Um, uh, We don't get to hear it very often. We heard Red Norval on vibraphone. On the other uh, recordings on that session, uh, which came from October of 1944, he played his first instrument, which was xylophone. But he did play vibraphone. He played some wonderful things with the Benny Goodman sextet in the 1940s. About this time, in fact, uh, he had led his own band in the 1930s that featured his wife, uh, Mildred Bailey, singing. And uh, he had quite an interesting series of small group recordings in the 30s as well. So Joe Thomas was on that, Vic Dickinson on trombone, Bone. Hank D'Amico was back on clarinet, the great Teddy Wilson on piano. Teddy Wilson and Red Norvo had a mutual admiration society going, and they recorded quite frequently with Benny Goodman and also in their own uh, small group as well. Red Norvo, as I said, on xylophone, Slam Stewart on bass, and Spex Powell on drums. And we have uh, a credit to Johnny Thompson as an arranger. I don't know if he uh, wrote out the parts to that or how he uh, functioned as an arranger, but a very nice version of I Got Rhythm. So we have time for a couple of more tunes. I'm gonna say my goodbyes here and let the music take us out. We're gonna hear Joe Thomas playing with the Pete Brown All-Star Quintet, Featuring Kenny Kersey, uh, Pete Brown was a great uh, jump-style uh, alto sax player from the 1930s. He was still recording in the mid-40s. His career went downhill after that, but uh, still had a lot of gas in the tank on this uh, date from July of 1944. Joe Thomas again on trumpet, Kenny Kersey on piano, very modern stylist for the day. Milt Tinton on bass and J.C. Hurd on drums. Both of them, them came from the Cab Calloway band of the day. And we're going to hear two tunes. The first is a ballad that features Joe Thomas. It's the talk of the town. And this was a ballad feature for him for the rest of his life. And then we're going to finish up with a tune called I May Be Wrong, a nice jump tune that was popular at the Apollo ballroom in new york city so this is pete brown's all-star quintet featuring kenny kersey and we might say joe thomas as well and my name is john clark you've been listening to the jazz focus here on wetf the jazz station in south bend indiana i hope you're enjoying the program Uh, i have some ideas for programs coming up including uh, a jack teagarden program which should be coming up pretty soon so i hope you enjoyed the show and listen to these last two tunes by joe thomas (laughs)